Hey, good morning, church. Good to see you today. Coming to you from Indian River Medical Center. If you have a heart issue or a heart problem, this is where you're going to go. And so it's kind of appropriate because we're talking about the heart today. There's an old preacher joke about a fellow who needed a heart transplant. And so the surgeon offered him three choices. He says, now, we've got a donor heart from a 22-year-old track star. We've got a donor heart from a 24-year-old Olympic swimmer. And then we've got a heart from a 78-year-old lawyer. It's your choice. The patient said, I'll take the lawyer's heart. The doctor said, the lawyer's heart? Why would you choose a 78-year-old lawyer's heart over the track star or the Olympic swimmer? And the patient said, I want one that's never been used. Now, my apologies to all the lawyers who are watching today. I know there's at least one, David, out there. No offense, some of my best friends are lawyers. But I don't want to talk about lawyers, I want to talk about the heart. And as you know, we're in our sermon series on the Beatitudes. What's a Beatitude? You know, Latin root, that means what? That's right, it means happy. So Jesus is telling us how to live the happy life, the joyful life, the abundant life. So we want to understand this Beatitude, the one we're on today, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8. And Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We want to break this down. We want this blessing in our lives. And we're basically going to ask and answer three questions. What does it mean to see God? What does it mean to be pure in heart? And how are these two concepts bound together? So let's start with the first question. What does it mean to see God? I want to suggest uh, three ideas here, scriptural ideas. The first thing it means is to be admitted into the presence of God. To see God is to be admitted into His presence. For instance, you remember the ten plagues that God brought against Egypt through Moses. And after the plague of darkness, Pharaoh exploded against Moses. He said, get out of here. I'm warning you. Never come back to see me again. The day you see my face, you will die. And Moses replied, very well, I will never see your face again. Now when a king says, see my face, he's talking about coming in to his presence. For instance, if you call up the doctor and say, hey, I'd like to see Dr. Gray today at two o'clock, you're not talking about looking at the doctor from a distance or looking at a picture of the doctor. You wanna go and be in his presence. So to see God, first of all, means to be admitted to His presence. Here's the second idea behind seeing God. Seeing God means to be awestruck by His glory. Awestruck by His glory. When Job went through everything he had experienced, toward the end he said this, I had only heard about you, God, before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes, and I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. So when we see God, when we see Him today in a mediated sense, sort of reflected images of God. We can see the image of God in creation, for instance, in providence, in, through the church and other Christians, but it's all mediated. There will come a time when we see God, all of those obstructions are taking, taken out of the place out of the way and we see the, glor the glory of God 
and we will be overwhelmed by that glory. So it means, the second meaning here, seeing God is to be awestruck by His glory. The third thing, the third meaning behind seeing God is to be comforted by His grace. We see this in the Psalms so often where the psalmist speaks of coming into the presence of God and seeing God being comforted by His grace. For instance, in Psalm 27, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, be gracious to me and answer me. When you said, Seek my face, my heart said to you, Your face, O Lord, I shall seek. Don't hide your face from me. When the psalmist says, don't hide your face from me, it's the same thing as saying, don't take your grace from me. We need the gracious comfort of God in our lives. That happens when we see God. So these three ideas are wrapped up in this promise of Jesus, you will see God. Is that something that we want? I mean, we, we probably think, well, that's something I know that I should want. But is it a compelling vision in our lives? It should be, but maybe it's not so much because we don't really have a frame of reference, a common frame of reference in which to think about it. Let me, let me illustrate this using uh, the Mark Schultz concert that we had back in, in February of 2019. Our, our Vera Christian Church members know we hosted the concert. Mark Schultz came to Vera Christian Church. Initially, I wasn't all, I wasn't so excited about that because, number one, I'm not a concert kind of guy. Ever since Elvis Presley died in 1977, there's not a concert that I have really wanted to go to. And I'm not a big music guy. I don't like the crowds. Don't like being manipulated in the audience. And I'd never heard of Mark Schultz. I couldn't name any of his songs. I wasn't all that excited. But I knew we had people that had worked very hard to bring Mark Schultz to our church. I knew there were people who were excited about it. I knew we were raising money for a good cause. It was Karenette Pregnancy Center. So yeah, I'm going to go and I'm going to get behind it. But it was kind of, yeah. Well, here's what happened. We had scheduled two performances, one on Saturday night and one on Sunday night. And I went to the Saturday night performance and my mom came with me and in the space of an hour and a half of that concert, I went from yeah to oh yeah. It was one of the greatest experiences of my life. I mean, Mark Schultz was engaging, he was funny, he was authentic. The lyrics to his music and songs are deep and rich, they're moving. The performance level was top shelf. I mean, he's a professional musician. It was an outstanding performance. I loved the entire experience. Afterwards, my mom got her picture made with Mark Schultz, and I got my picture made with Mark Schultz, and I followed him on Facebook. I don't follow anybody on Facebook, except for theologian Jack Cottrell. So I followed him on Facebook. The next night, I came back for the second concert, same concert, sat through the whole thing again. It was even better than the first time. And I found myself thinking, you know, we promoted this, but I wish we'd have promoted it even, even harder. I, I was thinking, I wish everybody I know could have experienced this. Now, my point here is not that I'm a, this big fanboy of Mark Schultz. 
I mean, I may be, but that's not my point. My point is the transition that I went through from, yeah, to, oh, yeah. And this is at least part of what's going to happen when we see God. When we close our eyes on this side of glory and we open our eyes in heaven and we see what theologians through history have called the beatific vision. That's the happy making sight, the beatific vision. We see the unmitigated essence, the glory of God. It will be the best thing that's ever happened to us. The suffering and the difficulty that we have experienced in life will fade into the background. And we will wish that we had promoted the gospel. We will wish that everybody we knew could be a part of this experience, the experience of seeing God. So that's, that's at least part of what Jesus is talking about. So question number one, what does it mean to see God? Question number two, then, what does it mean to be pure in heart? All right. Soren Kierkegaard wrote a book with the title, To Be Pure in Heart Means to Will One Thing. To will one thing. That's a pretty good definition. As long as we understand the one thing that we will is the glory of God. Now, let's see if we can flesh that out with the Bible, that, that particular definition, to will one thing. Let's see what David says, for instance, in Psalm 24, verses 3 through 4. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. This, this is the closest we come to an Old Testament version of this beatitude of Jesus. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. What does he mean by a pure heart? Who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. The idea behind a pure heart is here, someone who has no falsehood in their heart and no deceit. If I'm deceiving someone, then I am willing two things. I'm willing to do one thing, and I will that people think I'm doing a different thing. I'm willing to experience one thing, but I will that people think I experience something else. So a pure heart is to will one thing. Let's see what James says about this. James chapter 4, verse 8. James writes, Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. We see this metaphor of washing your hands again. Wash your hands purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world now you see when he's talking about a pure heart here the opposite of, pure, of a pure heart is a double minded person someone whose loyalties are divided they're trying to be loyal to God and they're trying to be loyal to the world at the same time and what's meant by the world here is the world system the sinfulness of the world the world that rejects God, James goes on to say, don't be friends with the world in that sense. In other words, social distancing, we're to practice social distancing with the world. We may have to be in the world, but we're not going to cozy up to the world and be buddies with that sense 
of the world. Jesus says something very similar. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Not part of your heart, but with all of your heart. We see this, this definition reflected in the writings of Paul. Where Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 1, the purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience. A pure heart, a clear conscience, genuine faith. If my conscience is not clear, it's because I'm doing one thing, but actually portraying myself as doing something else. I'm willing to different things. Let me, let me illustrate this with hand washing. You know, wash your hands is a consistent metaphor with the psalm and with James. Purify your hearts, wash your hands. Uh, so my granddaughter Cora, when she was four years old, we're, we would tell her to go into the bathroom and wash her hands before a meal. So off she would go. But she, was, she didn't have a pure heart when it came to washing her hands. She was double-minded. She didn't really want to wash her hands, but she wanted us to think that she had washed her hands. So she would disappear into the bathroom, and five seconds later, out she would come. And I would say, Cora, did you wash your hands? Yes. Well, I'll say, okay, well, come here and let me smell your hands. Because we use scented soap at our house. So if Cora has washed her hands, then they're going to smell like lilac blossoms or roses. or They're going to smell fragrant. And as soon as I, say that, I said that, Cora knew that she was busted because her hands didn't smell like that. So she didn't even come over. She just turned right around, went back into the bathroom, and she washed her hands. And then she came back out. Double-minded. Now, none of us today are double-minded when it comes to washing our hands, are we? We are all in. We are pure-hearted when it comes to washing our hands. There may have been a time when we skipped a little bit or skimped a little bit. Maybe we just turned the water on, wouldn't even use soap, and we run our, put our hands under the water, get them wet, shake them off, dry them, and walk out. No more. Not with the COVID virus. We're all in on washing our hands. We're like surgeons preparing for heart surgery. We're going to roll up our sleeves. The, uh, the government says, how long are you supposed to wash your hands? 20 seconds. So we may have that little song that we're going to sing. 20 seconds. It's a happy birthday song two times through. Or maybe use the ABCs. Or I like musicals, music theater. So I might Pick something from the sound of music. The hills are alive with the sound of music. And I'll sing that through. Or maybe from South Pacific, I'm going to wash that man right out of my hair. I'm going to wash that man right out of my hair. Saturday Night Live, you know, staying alive, staying alive. Whatever your song is. In fact, if you have a song, go in the chat room right now and, and say what your hand-washing song is. Just share that with everyone. Point being. We want to wash our hands for 20 seconds. We're going to scrub. We're going to get underneath the nails and behind the ring. And then we're going to do a great job because we're pure-hearted and single-minded with washing our hands. Well, likewise, to have a pure heart means to will one thing, and that's the glory of God. The glory of God, His will, His love, trust, friendship, relationship with God is central and foremost in our lives. And we're still in the world. We still have a family. We may have hobbies. We have work that we do, but all of that goes into the funnel and is focused and funneled toward 
the glory of God. That's our single-minded, pure-hearted devotion. Okay, so seeing the face of God, seeing God coming into His presence, being awestruck by His glory, seeking His grace in our lives, pure in heart, willing one thing, the glory of God. And finally, how are, how are these two things tied together? They're tied together in faith. In faith. They're, there is a sense in which we must have purity in order to come before God at all. The Hebrew writer says, Strive for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. I mean, all this holiness and purity is a prerequisite to coming before God. Now, when we hear that, any sensitive soul, and you are a sensitive soul, will respond like Solomon. Who can say? I have kept my heart pure. Who can say I am clean and without sin? None of us has done that perfectly. None of us have had, can have confidence that we have. The disciples express something similar. And they say to Jesus, who then can be saved? And Jesus replies, with men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So, there is a sense in which God purifies us in an ultimate sense through the blood of Christ when we trust in Him and have faith in Him. In Titus chapter 2, Paul writes, Christ gave Himself for us to purify for Himself a people that are His very own, eager to do what is right. God creates a purity in us and for us a holiness for which then we strive to experience in our actual lives and in our example. Remember when Jesus was washing the feet of the disciples and he comes to Peter and Peter says, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus says, yes. And Peter says, no. <laughs> and Jesus said, well, unless I wash you, Peter, you can have no part with me. And so Peter does a 180 and he says, oh, all right then, well, wash my head and my, my whole body. And Jesus replies, no, someone who's had a bath is clean. You just need to wash your feet. Christian, you're clean. You've had a bath. God has cleansed you. God has purified you. And God has made you holy in the ultimate sense. You trusted God, declared Him to be the Lord, we changed our thinking about sin when you were baptized into Christ you had your bath well, what did Ananias say to Saul in Acts 22 16 arise and be baptized washing away your sin what did Peter say on the day of Pentecost repent let each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin through faith at your baptism your sins were washed away you were forgiven you were washed with water through the Word, made pure and made holy, declared holy and pure in the eyes of God. Now, we're simply striving in this process of sanctification to have this, our actual condition begin to match the purity and the holiness that God has already given us 
credit for. We're just washing off the dirt and the grime that gets on us as day in and day out we live in a fallen world. And so God has given us the spiritual disciplines of prayer and confession to wash our hands and to wash our feet. If we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and what? And purify us from all unrighteousness. But we come at that from that position of strength. Let me use that hand-washing metaphor just one more time. So Cora, and, and I'm talking about my granddaughter, but I'm sure you've experienced this with, with your children, your grandchildren, you know how this works. At, at five, we can send her to the bathroom, she can wash her own hands. But she was two, she didn't know how to do all those things. She needed a lot of help. And uh, since we're helping to raise our grandchildren, I was one of those helpers. Follow her into the bathroom and I'd get a stool for her and she'd stand on the stool and I'd say, now turn on the water. She couldn't quite reach and I'd help her turn on the water. I'd say, get your hands wet. She'd have to stretch and sometimes I'd stretch her hands even further to get her hands wet and I'd squirt a little soap into her hands. I'd say, now rub them together and she did the best she could, but mostly she's just making a mess. And I would put my hands over hers and we would work up the foam and I made sure that her hands got clean and rinsed and dried. I made sure that she was clean. We come to God in our prayers and our confession. We're doing the best we can to follow the spiritual disciplines. Even then, the, the best that we do, we're usually just making a mess. But just like Cora does what I ask her to because I'm her papa and she trusts me and she loves me and she knows I have her best interest at heart. We do what God has asked us to do, even if we don't always understand how it works because we trust Him, we love Him, we know He has our best interests at heart and God is doing the heavy lifting and the cleansing. It's always God who's applying the blood of Christ, who's washing away our sins and purifying us day in and day out so that we pray with the psalmist Create in me a clean heart today. Create in me a clean heart, a Lord, and he will do it. And that's a blessed thing. It's the best way to live because blessed are the pure in heart. You, pure in heart, me, us, for we shall see God. Amen.